and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. So this morning, we're going to finish Hebrews chapter 11, talking about faith guiding our experience. Um, Before we do that, I want to give you just a quick recap of last week. We went through the first 16 verses. And when we went through those verses, we saw that faith is uh, several different things here. That it is sure and certain of God's character. That when we have faith in God, we are sure that he is good, and we are certain that he's going to act upon his promises. Um, we, when we have faith, we recognize that faith is what God approves, not my own ability or perfection, but my trust in him. We see that faith is a way of viewing all experience. We see that faith obeys God. Faith delights God's heart. It acts based upon who God is. Faith condemns the world by our very presence on the planet as followers of Jesus Christ. Following him is going to make the world around us recognize their sin. It marks out God's people. It is what God rewards. It is what God produces. Faith desires a greater reward, and and faith is unflinching for Jesus. That's what we saw in the first 16 verses last week. We're going to focus this week on faith guiding our experience. And this is important because the culture that you and I live in tells us that our experience should guide what we believe to be true. Uh, That the number one indicator for truth is that it's based upon your own experience. And so whatever you've experienced in your life would determine truth for you. And that might be different for me. It might be different for somebody else. Uh, But our understanding of reality, our faith in what is true and what is right is based upon our experience. The scriptures say, no, 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 no. Uh, When it comes to understanding what is true and what is right, our experience needs to follow our belief. In other words, whatever you're going through in life, it needs to be filtered through what God says to be true. And that's going to allow you to actually understand what God is doing in your life and the world around you and ultimately lead you to a greater purpose than just sort of what I think is true versus what you think is true versus what somebody else thinks is true. But there's an absolute behind all of this. That absolute is God. And that's who we want to have faith in. And so he's going to give us examples of people within the the Old Testament faith. The first one is Abraham. He says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. This is a story that a lot of people get tripped up on. Why did God ask Abraham to sacrifice his son? That's weird. It goes against all these things that we know in the Old Testament that are within the Old Testament law, like human sacrifice was not something that you did. Why did God ask Abraham to do this? 
Um, furthermore, as the passage reveals here, God had made a promise to Abraham, basically a threefold promise, that he was going to receive land, um, that he was going to receive descendants, and that he was going to receive a blessing, uh, actually that all the world would be blessed through Abraham's descendants. And so the, the descendants, the seed, is through Isaac. And so God's, Abraham's going, how, how is God going to do this? He's going to kill Isaac and raise him from the dead? But then the other thing you do is you go, why did Abraham go along with this? First, why did God ask it? And second, why did Abraham go along with it? And one of the things I want you to see here is that faith is tested and that it is trained. Our faith, your faith in God is going to be tested. There's going to be things in your life that will test your faith to determine whether you're following God for what you can get from him or whether you're following God because you truly trust him. Right, and, and this is one of the major tests, is, is that Abraham is being tested. It, does he follow God simply because God made him a promise that he was going to give him some blessings, or is he following God because he genuinely trusts him? Okay, that still doesn't answer the question, why sacrifice Isaac? That's a weird test to choose. And culturally, human sacrifice in the religions that were around Abraham at the time, human sacrifice was something that took place. So not only was Abraham's faith tested, but it was trained. And the training is this, that when it, comes to deal with, when it comes to dealing with sacrifice to cover sin, we're not going to sacrifice humans when you follow the God of the Bible, Yahweh. That human sacrifice was not going to be a part of it. And so he was tested, but he was also trained. I understand that the religions around you do this, and Abraham sees it and goes, okay, that must be just normal. And God is saying, no, this is not normal. This is not right. Instead, a ram is going to be caught in the thicket, and the ram is going to then die in Isaac's place. There's going to be a substitutionary sacrifice for Isaac, ultimately pointing us to uh, the substitutionary sacrifice of John the Baptist calls Jesus the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so here shows up Jesus, and now we understand that this imagery of the substitutionary sacrifice through the Lamb is actually going to be God's own Son, that the final sacrifice is going to be uh, a human but it's also going to be a divine human who will cover all sins for all time. Someone dying in our place and for our sin. The sacrifice of the, of, of the Old Testament were not intended to be human because there would be one, Jesus Christ, who would take the weight of everyone's sin upon himself. And so faith is tested and it is trained. He goes on through the patriarchs and he says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and he worshipped, leaning on his staff. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. So he's working his way through the major, they're called the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph are the, are the four patriarchs of the Old Testament period. And so he works through them, and he demonstrates how Isaac, uh, Abraham's son, blessed Jacob, his own son, and then Jacob blesses Joseph, and they worship God throughout the entire process, and they're looking forward to, if you don't know the story, um, 
Joseph ends up being sold by his brothers into slavery into Egypt, out of the land that they lived in, the land that was promised to them. They then find themselves all in Egypt because there's a famine in the land, and Joseph is able to save uh, the people of Abraham. And then the people of Abraham end up being enslaved within Egypt for 400 years. And Joseph saw the exodus coming and wanted his bones to go back to the land. That's what that's talking about. But what I want you to see here is that faith worships God and blesses the coming generations no matter the circumstances. If you look at the circumstances of what they were going through, all of the promises that they were looking forward to weren't taking place. They didn't have the land. There, nobody was being blessed through them. Well, maybe in a figurative way, they were being blessed through Joseph storing up grain in Egypt. But the, none of the promises are coming to pass. But faith worships God and blesses the coming generations no matter the circumstances. Even though they weren't getting what they had hoped for, they continued to rely and trust God's promises for the future. And so you could apply this to our lives today. You could look at our nation and you could say, boy, it sure seems like our nation is slipping away from God. If you look at the legislation that's coming out and you look at our founding documents and how much they depended upon God and not just any God, but the God of the Bible and how those documents were then drafted in a way that would lead the people to honor God. Even if they didn't believe in him, they would live lives that honored his laws. And now we see our laws moving further and further away from what we know to be right within the scriptures. We're actually passing laws that uphold evil rather than do good. And you could say, boy, look at our nation. It's just crumbling. It's falling apart. And I could say, give Egypt a try. <laughs> you know, imagine being Joseph. Imagine, imagine being Jeremiah or Ezekiel. And you're, you're in Babylon. This is not foreign to God's people. Imagine being Paul and you live in Rome. It doesn't matter what's going on in our national circumstances. We can worship God and bless the coming generations. And this is such an amazing thing that we just heard about what Matt and Kim are doing. They're, they're on college campuses, what I would describe to be, I mean, state colleges are probably one of the major sources of evil as far as philosophy and mindsets are concerned in our nation. I don't think there's any question about that. State colleges are against God and they're leading people away from God and guiding people to be anti-God and depend upon themselves. And here's Matt and Kim on a state college situation and they're able to bless the coming generations with the gospel. They're able to reach out to professors who then join in in blessing the coming generations with the gospel. It doesn't matter what our circumstances are, we can worship God and bless the coming generations with the truth of who God is. And that's an important message for us. Don't be downhearted. I hear a lot of downhearted, beat up Christians. Don't be downhearted. God is still working. He's still acting. He's still doing things. And you and I are called to be a part of it. Um, Ty McMillan, one of our elders, he hosts FCA in his classroom. His wife Amanda hosts it in her classroom. There's FCAs in different uh, schools within our area. I got to go to one of them last year and share the gospel at the middle school. And there's 60 or 70 students there and three respond and they want to follow Jesus and we give them a Bible and we invite them to youth group and we encourage them to be discipled. God is still working. And so faith worships God and blesses the coming generations no matter the circumstances. So 400 years go by, 
And the people of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph have been enslaved in Egypt during that time. And along comes Moses. By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden with his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. The king's edict was that the Hebrew people were growing too numerous and too powerful and that the firstborn of every household should be slain. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter. Because what happens to Moses? He's put in the basket. He goes down the Nile River. He ends up in the Pharaoh's house. His mom still gets to raise him. But he's raised with all the privilege and power of a prince of Egypt. And chose to suffer. Wouldn't be called Pharaoh's daughter. And chose to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoying the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since he was looking ahead to the reward. Give me just one second here. My iPad did not refresh. Okay, so what we see in this is that faith defies evil and fights the good fight. This is what faith is doing. It's defying evil and fighting the good fight. It says here that when he was born, he was hidden from the king's, the Pharaoh's edict. Faith defies evil and it fights the good fight. What should we do with evil in our generation? What should we do with government policies that go against God? What should we do with government laws that are, are wrong and actually uphold what is unjust versus what is just? We should defy them. God calls us to obey the governing authorities, but not to the point of sin. You should never act against your conscience. You should never act against scripture and you should never act against Christ. Should any man ask you to do so, defy him. I will not act against my conscience. I will not act against scripture and I will not act against Christ. And should you ask me to, I will disobey you. Now, I'm not gonna disobey you in a way that is demeaning to you. But like Christ on the way to the cross, if you want to do evil to me, I'm going to return evil with good. But I will not be obedient to anything that goes against conscience, scripture, or Christ. I will not do it. And we need to have the backbone to say no to our governing authorities when they ask us to do so. And that may cost us something in our society, but we're fighting the good fight. We consider all the wealth of the United States of America to be nothing compared to the wealth that is coming when Christ returns. So should it cost you your job? Should it cost you your bank account? Should it cost you whatever position within your company? Those things are minor and irrelevant in terms of what God is going to do in eternity. And so I'm willing to sacrifice any and all of them to what is right. Christians have been told for the better part of 50 years to shut up. That is the, that is the message from our culture. You're a follower of Jesus, shut up. Don't do it. Don't do it. 
Be bold for Jesus in your household. Be bold for Jesus in your neighborhood. Be bold for Jesus and run for city council. Be bold for Jesus and, and make your workplace different. Be bold for Jesus and make our cities and our schools and our universities and, and our states and our nation different. Defy evil and fight the good fight. Do not back down. By faith, Moses, when he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger, for Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. By faith, he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of, of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. When the Egyptians tempted to do this, they were drowned. If you know the story of Moses, he recognizes that he is a member of the Hebrew nation. He sees one of his fellow men being mistreated by a, a taskmaster of the Egyptians, and he kills him, and he buries him in the sand. This says that he left Egypt not because he was afraid of the king's anger, but because he recognized that he had done something wrong. His fear was not Pharaoh, but God. And he had killed a man wrongfully. And so God needed to work on him, and he took him out of Egypt, and he spent 40 years in the desert. And at the end of that 40 years, he returns Moses to Pharaoh, a man that he would have known and grown up with. Come on, you guys, have all, you're all picturing Charlton Heston right now. <laughs> and they go through the plagues, and Pharaoh won't listen to the first nine, and eventually the firstborn of each household is killed, unless the blood of a lamb is put on the doorposts of the house. Again, a picture of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ's blood should be applied to the doorposts of your heart so that you, your sin would be passed over and laid upon him so that you could be freed from the consequences of sin. And then, not just freed from the consequences of, of sin, but like the Hebrew people, you cross the Red Sea. You leave the old life behind. That's what's going on there. You're being passed over and you're passing through. You're being, your sin is passed over and you're justified and made right with God, but then you're leaving the old life behind, crossing the sea into new life. Is it unfamiliar and different? We'll read the story about the Hebrews in, in the desert. And they grumbled and complained because the old life, maybe it looked better at times. But ultimately, God taught them time and again that even should they suffer in the desert, it was better than being in Egypt. And so what we see here is that faith is unafraid and steadfast in the mighty hand of God. Moses is unafraid and he does what he does. You know, it's interesting. He did experience fear. He actually shared that fear with God. God, what should I say? Who shall I say is sending me? How, a Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. What do you want me to do? And then, he's, and then he says that he's actually slow of speech. And God gives him Aaron. And so he, he actually experienced fear, but in the end, the fear that he experienced was overcome by the mighty hand of God. He was steadfast because he was in God's hands. And this is true for you and me as well. If you truly want to live for Christ and you want to be different within your culture and you want to, you want to change the world that we live in so that the kingdom of God would show up on the kingdom of men rather than the kingdom of Satan showing up in the kingdom of men, if you truly want to bring heaven down to earth and have God's will be done, then you have to recognize you can't do it. But you can when you're in God's hands. When you're in the mighty hand of God, then his power and his might becomes yours. 
The, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of you. The same spirit that would remind us of the, thing that Jesus, the things that Jesus have said. The same spirit that tells us when Christ, they ask him, Jesus, what are we supposed to say when we're in front of our persecutors? He says, don't worry. The spirit is going to be with you and he will give you what to say in the moment. And so I don't know everything, but I know the one who does. I don't have a lot of power, but I know the one who has it all. I can't claim to possess truth, but I know the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm dependent upon him and his mighty hand. And so he moves now from Moses, and they've left the land, and they've gone through there. He actually skips over the desert time and jumps straight into retaking the land under Joshua. It says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being marched around by the Israelites for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, be welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. And so what I want you to see here is that faith demolishes strongholds. A lot of people struggle with this. Why did God have the Israelites go into the land of Canaan and he tells them to, to crush the cities that are there and the inhabitants? Now, this reveals the inhabitants who disobeyed. Why did God have them do this? You'll hear this come up in conversation. You say, God is genocidal. See what he had his people do. Well, God had been working in these nations for hundreds of years. He had been giving them opportunity after opportunity to repent. And when he sent his people back into the land to take the land, what he wanted them to do was make sure that when they took it, the sin that was in the land, the child sacrifice, the crazy sexual practices, I won't even get into them, the slavery, the subjugation of women, the destruction of people, that all the things that were natural to that land would not, be a, would not be a part of his people. And so he tells them to destroy the strongholds, to take the land. And here's what you need to understand, is that this needs to happen in me and you. The strongholds in you and I need to be destroyed. The strongholds where we would, where we would allow sin to fester, they need to be destroyed. Not, not coddled, not played with, not justified, but destroyed. Those strongholds need to be demolished. And this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says that we demolish strongholds. And the way that we do it is we demolish strongholds by taking every thought captive to Christ. That the thoughts that we have and the way that we think are no longer our ways and our thoughts, that, but they become God's ways and God's thoughts. And we renew our mind over and over again. And if your mind is not renewed, your behavior will follow your old ways. If your, nine, if your mind is renewed, then your behavior will follow God's ways. It's that simple. You swim around in filth, you're going to get filthy. You need to be cleansed. You need to be washed. You need to be transformed. But the transforming is not an external washing of us. That's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. You Pharisees, you wash the outside of the cup, but it's the inside that needs to be dealt with. You Pharisees, whitewash the outside of yourselves, but you're full of death and decay. You need a transformation from the inside out. And so what we do is we say, God, I'm taking the thoughts that I have. What's your, what's your biggest sin? Don't say it out loud. <laughs> What's your biggest sin? 
God, I'm taking this captive to you. I am continually giving in to lust. I'm continually giving in to addiction. I'm continually giving in to the love of money. I'm continually giving in to, you do yours. God, I'm taking this captive to you. It used to try and hold me in bondage. This sin tries to hold me in bondage, but I'm bringing it in bondage to you, the king, and I'm asking for you to destroy it. Weed it out of me and wreck it. And that's what this is about. Faith demolishes strongholds. Here's the other thing here. Is there somebody here this morning who has not trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? And you, according to the scriptures, are a slave to sin. You are bound and chained to a way of lawlessness that does not recognize God as your God. How do you get free? How do you get free? Well, there's this guy named Jesus. And he went to the cross as a rebel, and they bound him. And they had him carry his instrument of death. And they whipped him, and they scourged him, and they mocked him. They mocked him with a crown of thorns because he was a pretend king. And instead of picturing Jesus, that's you. That's me. I should be mocked. I should be chained. I should be bound. I should have a fake crown of thorns pressed upon my head. I should carry my instrument of death. I should be put to shame and death on a cross in front of everyone and bear that humiliation. Because I'm a rebel, or at least I was, and a sinner against God. But when Christ died, he died in my place and for my sin, so that all of that that was deserved to me would be put on him, and I would be freed from it. Furthermore, he rises from the dead three days later to prove that he is the Messiah and the one who is capable of overcoming sin and death. You believe that, your chains are broken. You might still walk back into your sin, but your chains are broken. The stronghold is demolished, and the one who would claim ownership of you, the evil one, Satan, the devil, the one who claims ownership over you now, he no longer can when you place your faith in Jesus Christ because you've been bought with the blood of Jesus, and you now belong to him. There's no more ownership on you, not, not from the darkness. You're now owned by the light. And so faith demolishes strongholds. And he finishes with some Old Testament stories. He says, what more could I say? Time is too short for me to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson. Say it, Jephthah. Jephthah. I always feel like I'm Sylvester the cat. Suffering, fuck a tash. Look at Jephthah. Um, <laughs> David, Samuel, and the prophets. So he mentions four judges, a king, and a prophet, and then the rest of the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. That's a, those are referencing stories from First and Second Kings. And here's what I want you to see in this, is that faith, it has no high water mark, and it is not dependent upon the vessel. There is nothing that someone in the hands of God couldn't have overcome in their life, even death. 
There's no high water mark for faith because God has no limits to his power. And the other thing is it's not dependent upon the vessel. If you go back and read these stories, you're like, Gideon was a coward. So was Barak. Samson was a womanizer. Jephthah sacrificed his own daughter because he believed in the pagan culture in weird ways. David, he he committed adultery and had somebody killed. Uh, Samuel, there are some cases where maybe it looked like he sort of manipulated things. We could go through the people of the Old Testament and and with, with two exceptions that I can think of. They all have negative things mentioned about them. Every single one of them. And so this is good news because faith has no high watermark and it doesn't depend upon the vessel. God's work in your generation and in your life and in our nation is not dependent upon our perfection. That's great news. He uses flawed people. And guess what? He doesn't have any other option. (laughs) But through his grace and in his mercy, he uses us. He puts us in his hands and he blesses us and he empowers us and he strengthens us and he causes us to do things and choose things we'd never choose on our own. He causes us to live for a kingdom that is beyond the kingdoms of this earth. Faith, it, it doesn't have a high watermark. God can do anything and it's not dependent upon our perfection. That's good news. He's faithful even when we are failures. And then he goes on to experiences of faith that you might, des- might not describe as victorious, but they are. Other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. That sentence might sum up the book of Hebrews. Because what he's saying over and over in the book of Hebrews is don't quit on Christ because if you quit on Christ, you quit on your reward. Don't quit on Christ because if you quit on Christ, you quit on your reward. And think about the seven letters to the churches in in the book of Revelation. He who overcomes will be given. Don't quit because you'll forfeit your reward. And so he says they didn't quit because they, they said torture is worth it. Because Jesus is going to return, and upon his return, he's going to reward me in ways that none of you can. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. Most of these you can find real quick in the Bible. Oh, that was so-and-so. Oh, that was so-and-so. This one, you have to go to extra-biblical sources, and it looks like, from the extra-biblical sources, that Isaiah under the Assyrians, was put inside a hollow log and sawn in two. That was something that the Assyrians did. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin, goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The sheepskins and the goatskins, um, it's essentially a statement of they were willing to go through poverty, right? If, If poverty is what God had for them, then they willingly did that. The world was not worthy of them, and they wandered in deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. And here's what I want you to see here. Faith is costly, and it doesn't fit in. If you follow Jesus, you're going to sacrifice things of this world. You're going to. 
You're going to say, I'm going to give up my time so that I can bless this person. I'm going to give up my wealth so that I can care for this person. I'm going to use the talents that I have, not so that I can have a bigger paycheck, but so that someone can be blessed. You're going to sacrifice things of this world for the benefit of others, looking forward to a better reward. Faith is costly and it doesn't fit in. If you want to be a follower of Jesus and be normal in your office, I mean, just get some oil and water and give them a mix. You have to pick. Are you oil or are you water? Are you the culture or are you a Christ follower? Who are you? Because you, do, you can't be both. Now, there are places where culture and following Christ can intersect. No question. There are healthy things within our culture where that can intersect. But, but the unhealthy, the evil... You cannot have those things and be a, have them mix them with Jesus. I mean, you can, but then you're called what? A hypocrite. And so we have to consciously choose. He says, all these were approved by their faith, but they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. He's saying that the Old Testament led to the new. That's what that statement is. The promises that God made in the old are leading to the promises that you and I are experiencing in the new. We have something better. Um, what God gave the Israelites and how he worked with the nation in the Old Testament was miraculous and amazing. But what God has given us in Jesus Christ is far beyond comparison. And his statement in doing that is he's saying faith is what God approves and it's what re, is what he rewards. Why would you give up on Jesus? Remember, these are people in the first century in the Roman world. In the first century in the Roman world, what had, what had happened is it had become an unpopular, not unpopular, illegal to follow Jesus. When Christianity was first formed, the Roman government looked at it and they said, it just looks like Judaism to us. Well, if you know the story of the book of Acts, what happens is the Jewish people persecute Paul and many others, and then they go to the Roman government and they say, no, this is not Judaism. We don't believe that, that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, and these people are following a way that is not Judaism. And so the Roman government goes, okay, it looks like it's different. Judaism, still acceptable. Christianity, illegal. And it becomes illegal to practice Christianity. And in the process of it becoming illegal, people start to lose their houses. They begin to lose their possessions. They begin to lose their jobs. Eventually, they're going to be put to death and imprisoned. And so it becomes illegal. And he's saying, nevertheless, don't give up on Jesus. Because faith in Jesus is what God approves and what he rewards. Yeah, if you want to follow Jesus in the Roman world in 65 AD, it's going to cost you. Way more than it costs us here in the United States in 2023. But whatever it's costing you, don't quit on Jesus. He's worth it. He's faithful. He'll see it to the end. You can trust him. Think of who you were in your old ways, in your old life, and then you met Jesus, and you experienced freedom from bondage and newness of life. You were passed over and passed through into a new way of life, and as you live this new way of life, you know the goodness of God. What on earth would make you want to backtrack to where you used to be? 
Well, my coworker doesn't like it. It upsets one of my in-laws. Like, that's what we deal with in the United States. Don't backtrack. Probably more what we deal with in the United States is not what other people think of it, but this is really what the problem ends up being. That used to make me feel good. And so I want to go back to it. I would rather have the pleasures of Egypt than the reward of God. I would rather have the pleasure of sin than the reward of God. Usually that's what it is in the United States, not, not firm persecution. But whatever it is, don't quit on Jesus. Take every thought captive. That thing used to make me feel good. I'm experiencing pain or loneliness or anxiety or frustration or whatever. And I could go back to that thing, that sin, and it could cause me to feel a moment of pleasure and an escape. No, take that thought captive. That's death. That's sin. That's against God's heart. What delights God's heart? Faith. What does God approve? Faith. What does God approve? What, what does God reward? Faith. God, I trust that whatever I'm going through right now, anxiety, sin, frustration, depression, whatever I'm going through right now, God, I trust that you're better than my old answers. And ultimately, that's what you have to say to yourself. I trust that you're better than my old answers. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are faithful that no matter what is going on in our lives or in our culture or across the world, you are good and you are in control. We don't always understand that, but God, you are good and you are in control. I thank you that your kingdom is not dependent upon my perfection. I thank you that I don't have to be perfect to be used by you. I thank you that you're taking the broken vessel that I am and you're making me whole. Uh, you're, you're reinforcing not who I used to be, but you've made me a new vessel, a new, a new person in Jesus Christ, and you're strengthening that each and every day. God, help me to take my thoughts captive, not turn back to my old ways, which I think are going to bring me escape or pleasure, but instead, uh, Father, may this be the cry of every heart this morning. You are good. You are trustworthy. You are faithful. You are best. And I want you above all else. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God. And we're so glad that you are a part of the family.